Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Bottom Line Show. We're going to start off today's program. I'm Roger Marsh. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, start off today's program right out of the gate with a question. And the question is, at what point do people who have been telling half-truths or untruths or just flat-out lies, uh, how far does grace extend and what should we be doing for those who find themselves in that category? Now, here's what I mean by this. One of the phrases that you hear more often than not in the era of COVID is misinformation. That's the term that comes up. If somebody spouts off something that uh, the left-leaning media doesn't like, it's immediately labeled as misinformation. Now, people tell lies all the time. I mean, we're human beings, and you hear people telling lies. You probably fudged on the truth a little bit a time or two in your own life. I've done it in mine. We've all done it. I mean, it's, it's not a proud moment for us, but we, we have to own that. But in the era of data, you know, where, where people really are more focused on getting all the intel getting all the info, or the one phrase that I've never understood, inside baseball. First of all, I don't understand why they talk about it as inside baseball. Every sport has kind of a, these are the things that if you're on the inside, you know. So I don't know why baseball is anything else. I think it's, it kind of, um, it kind of, uh, it, I'm sorry, I, I, just for a moment, I'm thinking about a member of my formerly extended family who used to use an expression that didn't make any sense but it's the way she dealt with extreme cold. She didn't like being cold. She was always, you know, consumed with that. She was, I think, slightly anemic. And so I remember one time she was watching our kids while we were out and uh, came home. It's the middle of summer and the heater was on in the house. It was 85 degrees on the heater. It was 75 degrees outside. Anyway, this person would, uh, remember the Br'er Bear and Br'er Rabbit character? Yeah. Whenever this person was cold, she would say, Burr Rabbits which doesn't make any sense. But nonetheless, that was the way she used the expression. There are a lot of people who make those kinds of claims as well. Remember, there was the uh, injecting bleach into your veins uh, comment that was made. And, you know, and then when the president, then president of the United States said, well, I don't know if taking a bleach bath works. I mean, might as well try everything, right? And that became reported as Donald Trump says you should drink bleach. You know, no, that's not what they said. But there is the actual statement, there's the actual truth, and then there's the way it's reported. And that is huge. Take a look at the crises that are facing our culture right now. There are crises that are real. There are crises that are cut out of pure cloth, fabricated. And then there are those that become crises simply because people have misheard or misrestated certain facts during the presidential election of 2020. There was the big steal and the big lie because then President Trump said the election was stolen from me. I had this thing won and it was stolen. Now, he meant that figuratively at first. You know, how could I lose because I'm so popular? That was just his own delusion. But then when you start doing some fact finding, you begin to find out, wait a minute, there were a lot of laws that were passed illegally. They were kind of ramrodded through just days before the election. There were mail-in voting procedures that weren't necessarily approved by the state legislatures. There were a variety of things that were, in fact, done illegally during the 2020 election. Molly Hemingway writes about this in her book called Rigged. Uh, it was a Time or Newsweek magazine. came out about two months after the election was over and outlined 
piece by piece how Democrats on the last four years leading up to that election had been working behind the scenes to change voting laws, unbeknownst to a lot of people, including all of the attorneys in the Trump administration. God bless Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis and all that crowd. They didn't know that these laws had been changed until they challenged them in court and all of a sudden found out that 47 of their challenges all got thrown out. But the media decided that they wanted to end this thing once and for all. And so they were the ones who started saying it's the big lie about the big steal. And Donald Trump's a liar because one time he said and two times he said, well, the reality is you can't just look at one statement and make a blanket generalization over that. There have been some whoppers of really just flat out lies, some innocent mistruths. And I thought I heard this wrongs that have happened in the culture that have really done some damage to people, not the least of which the most vulnerable among us. Ben Carson wrote a piece in The Federalist, and uh, this is that Ben Carson, as in Dr. Ben Carson, um, talking about he was the 17th Secretary of uh, Department of Housing and Urban Development, founder and chairman of the American Cornerstone Institute. And this piece is really telling. He said, leftist corporate media was a loud, constant cheerleader for the most draconian and inept of COVID responses. The world first noticed people were getting sick and dying from a novel coronavirus that originated in Wuhan, China. As the seriousness of the disease became more apparent, policymakers around the world struggled without a respond. Eventually, many leaders settled on policies of draconian lockdowns and restrictions in an effort to stop the spread of the virus. Now, to be fair... When it's new and you don't know anything about it and you don't know where it's coming from, the idea that it could potentially be the reason people are dying, they caught this, they had it in their system, they died, you might say, yeah, stay home for a couple of days, let's try to figure this out. But then Dr. Carson writes, as these restrictions dragged on for months and now years, some leaders trimmed their sales, some changed course completely. But most policymakers failed to keep in mind the fundamental axiom of governing, most pithily stated by Thomas Sowell. And he writes, Sowell's quote is, there are no solutions, there are only trade-offs. Now it is becoming clear that most of the policies they chose, like all policy choices, were not consequence free. Sadly, America's school children appear to have borne the brunt of their choices. Politico and other outlets have reported on the quote-unquote disaster of learning loss, learning loss resulting from pandemic school closures. Unfortunately, this learning loss is concentrated in minority communities that could least afford to suffer these consequences. And then Dr. Carson writes, as I, my rocket scientist brother, and countless others can attest, education is the key to escaping poverty. Remember, Dr. Ben Carson comes from a single parent home. Dad had another family, left mom and his brother and him to fend for themselves. She worked three and four jobs, menial labor. She didn't have an education past the third grade. And yet, Dr. Ben Carson became a brain surgeon and his brother became a rocket scientist. Why? Because moms stress the value of education in their lives. Dr. Carson writes, the American Academy of Pediatrics has declared, quote, a national emergency in child and adolescent mental health, specifically noting an increase in suicide attempts, as well as, and I'm quoting the report here, soaring rates of depression, anxiety, trauma, loneliness, and suicidality that will leave lasting impacts on them, their families, and their communities, end quote. 
Dr. Ben Carson continues, early in the pandemic, it was obvious to anyone who actually sat down and looked at the data rather than acting on fear and propaganda that children were not at risk from this virus, nearly to the degree that adults were, never mind older adults with comorbidities who are overwhelmingly the victims of this disease. We also knew early on that online learning is not as effective as learning in the classroom. We knew children would disappear from the school system if we went virtual, particularly in minority and underserved communities where it's tough to get the online learning to begin with. We knew that mask mandates, quarantines, and mandatory social distancing would be harmful, and now we have more data proving all of this to be true. I welcome outfits like Politico and the New York Times recognizing that policies seeking to halt the spread of an airborne virus have had lifelong negative consequences for American children. But that does not absolve them of their responsibility for bringing these consequences about. For motivations both noble and base, leftist corporate media was a loud, constant cheerleader for the most draconian COVID responses. From the start of the pandemic, the public health bureaucracy, liberal politicians, and the left in general spread fear, confusion, and lies about the risks of COVID and the consequences of pursuing their quote-unquote lockdown and eradication approach. At every turn, the leftist media was there cheering them on and helping them squash dissent. For example, when several prominent doctors and scientists authored the Great Barrington Declaration, which advocated for protecting the vulnerable, but otherwise trying to minimize COVID's disruption of everyday life, the architects of our failed response enlisted allies in the media, like the Washington Post, to discredit the proposal. Indeed, in many areas, teachers unions are the ones who insisted that the schools go entirely virtual and resisted with all their will any attempts to resume in-person education. And there, every step of the way was leftist corporate media playing up the risks of COVID, always while studiously avoiding discussion of how those risks are focused in a relatively small subset of the population and downplaying the risks now realized of virtual learning. Despite the incredible cost these policymakers and pundits imposed on our children, all is not lost, Dr. Carson writes. The American people appear to be realizing slowly that bureaucrats act in the interests of bureaucrats, not the public, and that unions act in the interests of unions, not the public. The mass exodus from states that continue to choose restriction over freedom is happening for a reason. The mass exodus from public schools is happening for a reason. Ultimately, Americans always choose liberty over tyranny. Valuable words from Dr. Ben Carson today here on The Bottom Line to kick things off and talking about how children have been placed at risk simply by virtue of the fact that these draconian measures and done so, I think, in some cases to say, hey, we want to make sure the children are protected, but they've really done more harm than good. Speaking of protecting children, as we continue, there's an organization called Voices Against Trafficking that has a new resource out that is designed to help the most vulnerable victims of trafficking, and that is those being trafficked, especially children. Um, joining me on the program in just a moment will be Andy Berger, who's the founder of Voices Against Trafficking, the author of the book, Voices Against Trafficking, The Strength of Many Voices Speaking as One, and also a victim of child trafficking herself. Andy Berger has a powerful testimony to share, and she'll do so on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Personal injury attorney Stephanie Cover of Cover Law will fight for justice on your behalf. She has to fight because no insurance company will willingly pay what you've lost after an accident. When you're in an accident, you take legal action simply to be restored to where you were prior to your injuries. Money may be needed for medical treatment, financial restitution for lost time at work, or any other thing that you've lost as a direct result of the injury. Stephanie's desire is for justice to find what was taken from you due to your injury and have it restored for you. 
Stephanie will become your advocate, passionately helping you make sure that your doctor's appointments are productive, the insurance companies are being honest, and she'll make those calls that you don't have time for. Go with K. Bright's trusted personal injury attorney who will help make you whole again. Stephanie Cover at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R and get back to your life. One of the biggest challenges that people face when there is a, uh, a tragedy, when there's some kind of uh, disruption that is working against uh, the common good or the, you know, the greater good in God's economy, is the fact that you feel like you're all alone. That's just you. This is you're the only one. It's one of the the enemy's greatest pieces of deception that he uses. And today here on the bottom line, to talk with a woman who has an organization that is seeking to change that with regard to trafficking and how many voices uh, speaking together, speaking out as one can actually be heard a lot more effectively than the ones crying out individually. Andy Berger is my guest. The Voices Against Trafficking is the name of the organization, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. She has a brand new book out that uh, people are really taking notice of. It's called Voices Against Trafficking, The Strength of Many Voices Speaking as One. And we have a link for the book as well as the organization up at TheBottomLineShow.com. Andy Berger, welcome to TheBottomLineShow.com. And did I get your last name correctly. You did, Roger. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here and to speak with your listeners today. Well, thank you for that. And it's an honor to have you here too, as well, because this is the kind of collection I think that people need to see. I mean, we see how the way Jesus handled his business when you know, on, on planet Earth, and how often did it, he would start out by saying the kingdom of heaven is life and like, and then telling a story. And, and we forget that sometimes the parables were examples of something that might have happened. But boy, we sure love and are touched by and are moved by a story that actually happened to someone. Talk about where the genesis for the idea for the book Voices Against Trafficking came from. Yes, and I I agree with everything you said, especially about the story. So Voices Against Trafficking was birthed out of a mustard seed organization that my husband and I started called Beulah's Place. It's a a shelter that we had for 13 and a half years, and we rescued kids off the streets who were trafficked, exploited. Basically, they were on the streets because they ran from something worse. And so out of that, in... uh, 2019, Voices Against Trafficking began to to brew, and in 2020, we became an organization at God's prompting, because my voice as a survivor was one thing, but I kept hearing God nudge me, you need more voices. We need more voices. And so the organization started, and we became a nonprofit, and now uh, we bring people all over the world together as one voice so that we can effectively um, influence legislation and communities for the good of our children and those who are preyed upon. You know, and it's interesting because when we think about in the in the sense of the spiritual realm, we think about prey as in P-R-A-Y, and uh, you know yes. how we want to look look for that. But unfortunately, we we've had to really rethink over the past, I'd say, the past decade, um, Andy, the the fact that 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 prey P-R-E-Y has become so horrific. And and as far as survivors and people who have gone through this, what is the most common? I would imagine the most common concern that people have who are abuse survivors is, quite frankly, either no one would believe me or I'm the only one this ever happened to. I mean, what, what, what's the typical uh, trafficking survivor story, I mean, if, if there is one? Well, one of them is exactly that. No one will believe me. We saw that in national headlines 
through some of the university scandals that when somebody did have the courage, the tremendous courage to report, they were not believed. Nobody vetted out the story. Nobody went after uh, the the issue to see what was true and what wasn't true. And so that tells a lot of other victims, well, hey, if they're not believed and if they can't get help, then I'm not going to get help. The second part is um, I'm not worthy enough. You know, no one's looking for me. Um, I'm just going to die this way. So they lose hope because they are isolated on purpose, and most of them don't think anyone will ever search for them. You know, that uh, I'm talking with Andy Berger today here on The Bottom Line. She's the founder of Voices Against Trafficking. We've got a link for VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com up at TheBottomLineShow.com and their brand-new book called Voices Against Trafficking. We've got a link for that book as well up at TheBottomLineShow.com. You mentioned two different words that I, I want to circle back around to because I think it helps us as listeners and also as, as concerned Americans, citizens, Christians, looking at this problem and saying, there's something I can do two of the enemy's worst tricks that he uses in this situation are isolation and deception. And I think that that isolation, especially, I mean, if we, if we saw a movie that depicted somebody who had been kidnapped, taken away somewhere, and they were, you know, in a physical location, and they were, uh, you know, there's no way they could cry out for help because no one would hear them, we would understand, okay, well, there's got to be a way you rescue them. But you're talking about people, too, who are being trafficked, who are literally have been hidden away in plain sight. I mean, they're, they're, they're among yes. us. Talk, talk, talk about that phenomenon. Absolutely. Even um, so, just for a uh, backstory, from age six months to 17 years old, before there was a term, I was trafficked by my immediate and some extended family members mm. in the 60s and 70s. So there, there was no place to go. There, there wasn't help. We barely talked about child abuse, you know, as a society because that was somebody else's secret. Right. And so. By the age of five, I that was my first attempt at suicide, and because of God's intercession, he clearly interceded and uh, kept me from doing that. But it was devastating because I knew I couldn't run. In familial trafficking with family members, it's even harder to report or to get away because they have a bloodline that covers them. But, you know, thankfully, God has a different bloodline, and we're all Amen. part of his family. Uh, so when he interceded on the curb of, the, of my street that day— uh, so I couldn't jump in front of a car and kill myself. I basically said, whatever you call me to do, I'll do. And then the last time my birth mother tried to kill me, I was 17. So I understand when you're locked away, when you're imprisoned. It's 21st century slavery, basically, you know, uh, when you hide people away. But as you just said, they hide in plain sight. Because in America, Roger, most people don't know this, but every 40 seconds, a child 18 years and under is abducted. They are mm. taken Oh, my goodness. So during the course of our conversation here, take, do the math, 40 seconds, multiply that by a half hour or so. And that's how many kids have been taken against their will. And it's uh, amazing. You use the term familial trafficking as opposed to the you know snatch and grab, I guess. Uh, when my kids were younger, they're in their 30s now. But when they were younger, I remember there was a big concern about fingerprinting kids and, you know, don't talk to strangers and that type of stuff. How much right. of this, how much of trafficking, though, I mean, is happening among families or people that you know, as opposed to, I hate to, I, the only way I can describe it is, you know, that boogeyman around the corner who looks terrible. And of course, anybody would, would not willingly be, be abducted by someone like that. But it sounds like that the, the percentage is pretty high of people that we know or are known to us that are engaged in the trafficking. 
Right. Well, in terms of trafficking, because of what's happened in the last 13, 14 months with the open border and uh, and other complications, we are not pursuing um, the enforcement of laws and other things like that as a nation. So we don't have the reporting we used to. But to your point, we know that at least 70 percent minimum of all child abusers are known to the victim in some way. Mm. And so since abuse is under it is part of is the I'm sorry, the umbrella for pedophilia and trafficking and all those things, uh, a lot of times we know that the victim has been introduced by someone they know to a predator, or mm-hmm. they possibly do know the predator, especially in familial trafficking. But for non-family members, um, then you have that portion that is strangers or people in business, gangs, for instance. It's easier for them to sell a girlfriend or boyfriend 20, 30 times a night than it is to produce drugs and have to manage it and try and sell them and, you know, watch all the distributors. That's a lot of work. Taking yeah, a well, human not, being. Yeah, a, I was going to say, it's not. It's a lot of work to, you think about the drug trade, for example, and I, I since we're talking commodities here, and I can't believe I'm actually even saying this, but I mean, the, the thought occurred to me, Andy Berger, as you and I were talking, is the fact that when it comes to the buying and selling of people, you can sell and resell and sell and resell, and you don't have to worry yeah. about, you know, where's the product coming from. And, and, and it's just, it's horrible to think that this actually happens. I'm glad you mentioned the fact that there are girls and boys who are being sold. Yes. I mean, not that this, that's a good thing, but I mean, oftentimes we, we, we will, especially the church, you know, we kind of have this hyper-masculinity that says we've got to protect our daughters. Well, our sons are vulnerable, too. You know what I mean? So grandsons Absolutely. and granddaughters. Talk, can you talk absolutely. about that for just a moment? Sure. sure, absolutely. It's on the rise. And in fact, my predators went to church, so it complicated mm. things, you know. Mm-hmm. So in the in the church families, I think a lot of times either um, church leaders, pastors, uh, reverends, whoever, they don't know how to broach this subject or how to mm-hmm. introduce it to the congregation uh, in order for them to learn and become aware, which is one reason, you know, we hope the book will be in every pastor's hand at some point. But um, yes, it, a, lot, a lot of times people presume it's just the girls, but the boys are on the rise too. There's a, a dark underground of people specifically looking for young men. And mm. there are also predators that will pay a college student to target other college students or other younger students uh, and bring them into a ring. And it's as simple as, hey, there's a party, you know, at my place or at the dorm, or we're going to meet a bunch of people at, you know, one of the the big box restaurants or something. And then Mm -hmm. suddenly on the way there, something happens and they're taken. We've rescued a lot of kids and every story has, you know, one common theme. They were lured. They were deceived, like you said, by the enemy. Mm -hmm. And that's how it happens. Yeah, it's awful. Andy Berger is with me today here on The Bottom Line, the founder of Voices Against Trafficking. And the brand new book is called Voices Against Trafficking, The Strength of Many Voices, Speaking as One. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com as well as this outstanding organization as well. As we continue, we're going to talk about why it is so important to act now and where we can find perhaps uh, some talk about hiding in plain sight. There may be some solutions that are a lot simpler than we think to ending trafficking or at least reducing it dramatically in our lifetimes. More of my conversation with Andy Berger from Voices Against Trafficking in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and so very, very grateful uh, to have you with us on the program today, especially for my conversation here with Andy Berger, and that's B-U-E-R-G-E-R. She's the founder of Voices Against Trafficking. The brand new book that they have published is called Voices Against Trafficking, The Strength of Many Voices Speaking as One. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. But this is a resource. If you're a pastor, 
if you're an educator, if you're a parent, and you have a concern about the issue of human trafficking, whether it's sex trafficking or just human slavery in general, Andy Berger became an activist because she grew up in that home. As you heard her say uh, early on, she was six months of age when a family member trafficked her, and she experienced that trafficking and that abuse off and on all the way through her 17th birthday, even experiencing abuse so bad as her birth mother wanting to kill her. Trafficking is far more nuanced than that hour and a half lifetime network movie about a girl who goes to a party and winds up going the wrong way. There's so much more to this issue. And hearing these stories that are uh, shared in the book, Voices Against Trafficking, trafficking survivors, human rights advocates, journalists, and more, um, I, I highly recommend this book to you. And even if it's not for you, if you know somebody who has gone through this kind of abuse and you think it would be therapeutic for them, if you're the principal of a Christian school or a school teacher in public or private school, uh, you've got to know what the signs are, what the warning signs are. And then Andy, actually, we're going to talk about this on the other side of this break, uh, has some tips for how you can prevent child abuse and child trafficking that are proven and true and trustworthy. More in just a moment as the bottom line continues. For more than 50 years, Dennis Wilson has been offering better alternatives to what the market offers when it comes to investments like certificates of deposit and real estate investment trust. Dennis's 3D account pays even better than market interest rate. Here's Dennis to explain. So what is a 3D account and how does it work? A 3D account is a real estate-backed investment without Wall Street risk. It pays an amazing interest of 7% for the next three years. At the end of three years, you can take your money out so you can see it's definitely not a REIT, or you can reinvest it at 7% in a new program. Go ahead and call today and ask about the 7% account. And then while you're on the phone and ask about our accounts that are pays even higher amounts for funds over 250,000. Learn more about Dennis Wilson's 3D Money account, the better alternative to the Real Estate Investment Trust. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial, simply better alternatives. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Andy Berger with me today here on The Bottom Line. She is the founder of Voices Against Trafficking, their brand new book with that same title, Voices Against Trafficking, The Strength of Many Voices Speaking as One, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's filled with powerful voices, uh, different aspects of the whole trafficking industry. And one of the things that I appreciate about this book, uh, Andy, it, we were talking about this during the break, is oftentimes, I mean, I, I think it was a comedian, might have been George Carlin or something like that, who said, "My, you know, when the room is clean, everybody looks around the room and says, the room's clean. It's my job to find the dust in the corner, you know, and th I bring that to light and we that's what we, we talk about. I think in a culture like ours, we've gotten so good at identifying, you know, what problems are, but we don't really have any solutions. And one of the things I love about your book is the fact that you have not only these are the problems, but also here's some tips, here's some solutions to actually prevent child abuse and child trafficking, and things like that. Can you talk about how you compiled this data, you know, practically and uh, purposefully? Yes, absolutely. We realize that as you just the challenge, but if we don't bring some kind of idea or some thought to solutions, then we, we leave people in the same position, um, a neutralized, desensitized, inactive position. So we wanted to make sure that we could activate that and also bring some hope. We don't want people to say like, oh my gosh, it's so big, we can't do anything, because absolutely you can do something. And in the book, as you said, there are many chapters, uh, 18 different authors, 20 chapters, everything from PTSD to what's really happening on the Texas border to our counterparts in Mexico uh, who are 
trying to save children, you know, on the border to where, you know, where did this all start? And people think that it just started in America, but it didn't. It started way back, uh, Greco-Roman era. I mean, think Cain and Abel, you know, pretty much from that timeline, Mm -hmm. we have had Mm -hmm. human trafficking at the root of many, many evils. So back to what we've done is we added helplines and hotlines in the back of the book, whether it's suicide prevention or child abuse prevention or uh, trafficking, hey, I've been trafficked, or I think I've seen it, here's a number to call. But then we also have, uh, I think, probably 30 or more ideas for parents and guardians and grandparents. So, for example, Roger, if, if you have kids in your home, you know, do you have a safe word or a safe phrase that if they texted that to you, you would know immediately they need help or you need mm-hmm. to drop what you're doing and go help them? Uh, so having something that your family only knows. So if there is, let's say, a, a 13-year-old is going out socializing, and maybe uh, in this case a girl, she feels uncomfortable or she's starting to get hassled. How does she get help without um, looking uncool, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, so yeah. there, or or they could just be in trouble, period. You know, a young boy could be in trouble. And so we want to make sure that families have some kind of safe code. Another thing, too, is... Um, to open the conversation with our kids that are old enough to understand not just stranger danger, but that there are predators out there online, in person, that will try to lure them into activities. And so we want our kids to feel safe talking to us, especially uh, kids, you know, through churches or other organizations. We want them to feel like it's not a bad thing to talk about, you know, my teacher did something that made me uncomfortable, or so-and-so is kind of bullying me, or I made a bad judgment. We don't want them to feel chastised for bringing up the hard things to us as adults. You know, I'm talking with Andy Berger today here on The Bottom Line. She's the founder of Voices Against Trafficking. Their brand new book is called Voices Against Trafficking, The Strength of Many Voices, Speaking as One. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, a lot of times, Andy, but that's just where the you know came from in the beginning of that sentence. Um, I realized that there are a lot of people who will look at this and say they want to do something about it and then ask the question, well, Andy, you have a legal background now. I mean, you you know how the, the legal system works. It seems like one of the safeguards that we should be pushing for as Christians is to uh, you know, be passing better legislation, you know, uh, electing officials that would actually take this a lot more seriously. Um, wh- how do you respond to someone who says, yeah, it- it's good that you're doing the work that you're doing, but if we had better laws, we wouldn't have as many problems like this? Right. That's a great question. And we do have laws uh, federally up to 20 years for the first infraction. It's not being enforced across the board. Uh, mm. Statewide, it could be five to 10 years. We let people out on bail that are pedophiles or no bail. Sometimes we are not keeping the predators at bay through our legislation right now. So enforcement. And one example is even in my area in Central Oregon, we have a district attorney who doesn't believe human trafficking happens because he doesn't prosecute it. Okay. What? So, yeah, yes. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Oh, my gosh. Yes. He also believes that if you're 18 and a prostitute, you chose that line of work for yourself, which is also not true. Maybe 10 percent. So the belief system, our legal system is just as corruptible as anything. And also when people don't say something, people knew things were happening and did not speak up for me or for other victims. And so in my book, not doing something is as culpable as actually doing the deed. So um, part of what we can do today uh, on our, our website, voicesagainsttrafficking.com, someone can go and they can click on the tab that says add your voice. 
We're trying to get a million voices by the end of summer 2023 on a roster so that we can go to any legislator, any governor, any mayor, any influencer in communities and say, look, these million voices demand your attention. And if you want their support, you need to show us what you're doing. And that's Mm -hmm. what I tell people. Go to the people you have voted for or you have financially supported and make them prove to you what they are doing to make your community safer. Andy Berger is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Voices Against Trafficking, The Strength of Many Voices Speaking as One. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Is there anyone that you hold up, Andy, and say, okay, this is someone in the clergy who's getting it right. This is someone in the legal profession who's getting it right. I mean, you've got a lot of advisors speaking into your world at uh, the the charter members of Voices Against Trafficking. I I, I see Donna Rice Hughes, among other names in there, that are recognizable names and really doing the hard work. But give us an example. Example and uh, and do a little recruiting while you're at it too in terms of saying you know this is the good kind of recruiting that says we want you to fight against trafficking as opposed to getting stuck in it. Absolutely, and and you can join us as an individual or a, a nonprofit or whatever. But yes, like Nancy Rivard with Airline Ambassadors. I mean, she mm. has uh, started the training for all airline personnel, any airlines, years ago. And and their biggest rescue was like 83 women, I believe, um, from. Uh, uh, place in Africa, but wow. they they do amazing work. So training uh, transportation personnel, all of those things go into play. And I will tell you that um, I call them the Magnificent Seven, but we had from the very beginning seven members of Congress, uh, two are retired, but both sides of the fence. And so we have some members that are working hard with us to help us get our voices out there. And we're recruiting more because without the leadership saying this is wrong we don't want to be the country known for human trafficking and that it's okay here Mm -hmm. we can't do as much so that's our goal and that's what i would say and of course you know god is my leader so i follow him in this in this effort (laughs) what what give us your faith story andy because i know it's it's got to be an encouraging one as you mentioned earlier the fact that basically all of your childhood, you were being trafficked by family members, and and uh, the fact now that you can speak very confidently about your faith and and the solutions that are available to combat human trafficking. But what what was your faith story like when, especially those times where you're thinking, I've got family members, blood relatives, my own birth mother who want me dead or want me sold to somebody else. How could there possibly be a God who loves me if my own family doesn't love me? Well, I feel really blessed. You know, God did reach my heart as that child, that five-year-old waiting to jump in front of a car and basically said, this is not the plan I have for you. Suicide is not the answer. And I trusted that. And while it was hard and, you know, I had other attempts by the time uh, that last incident occurred at 17, I thought I either live or I die, but I can't be in the middle. And so I trusted God in a very blind faith way. Um, unfortunately, married an abuser uh, and then was divorced. And in that time, uh, you know, de- deliverance doesn't always come in the package you want it to, but it's still deliverance. And so I grew in my experiential knowledge of mm-hmm. God as, you know, uh, Father and, and Jesus as companion and provider and, you know, Holy Spirit. And so um, that faith walk uh, took me through a lot. And therapy, I did go to counseling for three years straight, pretty much, all the identities, all the stuff that came out. And then God provided me with the most amazing human I've ever known. Uh, and we've been married, uh, Ed and I have been married 22 years. So I speak so that people know there can be successful relationships if you've been hurt or violated or exploited. And also mostly that, you know, God the Father does love you. And it's not your fault if you've been hurt. 
and that um, healing does take a lot of work. But in my life, six decades later, here I am. I love it. I love it. That's such an encouraging story and a great way for us to end our conversation today. Andy Berger, the founder of Voices Against Trafficking. VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com is the website. Voices Against Trafficking, the strength of many voices speaking as one is the book. And we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Andy, thank you so much for your time. God bless you for putting this resource together. And thanks for being with us here on The Bottom Line Show today. Thank you, Roger. Thanks so much to your listeners. Bless you guys. Well, what a powerful conversation and what a generous opportunity. Thanks again to Andy Berger uh, for joining me today from Voices Against Trafficking. And here on The Bottom Line, we've been talking about some tips and some practical solutions for you know identifying the crisis. I think the awareness level has really risen to a, a good level in terms of people knowing about the problem. But then the question then is, what do you do if you've been victimized or or if you are trying to prevent uh, that from happening to your children, to your grandchildren especially. I think it's just, it's very, very uh, noteworthy that uh, this is an issue in the culture right now uh, with when it comes to younger people especially being trafficked. And there are ways that we in the church can, we, we can't say, well, we didn't know because there are more organizations like this one that are helping us to know and to find out uh, what the problem is, how bad it is, and what we can do about it here on this edition of The Bottom Line. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, thanks again to Andy Berger, the founder of Voices Against Trafficking, that outstanding book that we've been talking about this hour, Voices Against Trafficking, The Strength of Many Voices, Speaking as One. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and uh, I encourage you to check it out. Uh, it's a great resource. I Trust me, I, I, I don't want to say I enjoyed reading it, but I found it to be very, very helpful. You know, this whole idea, the sanctity of human life and mental health, and uh, one of the things that uh, Andy writes about in the book is the PTSD that many people go through uh, when you've been trafficked and brutalized. As a matter of fact, before we go into this next story, I want to just take a moment uh, to lead us in a word of prayer. If you would join with me, if you're able, uh, for those who've been victimized by trafficking, and those who are currently in that slavery and are maybe crying out to God and hoping for deliverance and, and not feeling like they're getting it, um, let, let's stand in solidarity with them in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a God who hears, a God who heals, and a God who gives us hope. And right now, Father, we come specifically uh, to you for the younger people, those in the millennial and Generation Z and younger generations that are experiencing emotional distress right now because of the trauma that they've been through. Um, in, in some cases, there, it's, there's been emotional or physical or sexual abuse at home, and uh, like in Andy Berger's case, and, and how to overcome that. Um, uh, how many of these victims are hiding in plain sight, and, uh, and we don't even know. Help us to have our hearts attuned to their distress and their cries for help so that we can be instruments of your peace and of your love and of your, uh, your kindness and healing. Uh, we also pray for those who are, are crying out right now and they feel like their voices aren't, aren't being heard, like they're at the bottom of a big ravine and they're crying and screaming and <clears throat> everything they've got in their lungs to uh, get their voices heard and it's not being heard. Father, please uh, provide that opportunity for them to be heard. And Father, finally, for the family members who are praying for lost ones, for loved ones who've been trafficked and uh, and maybe they have been separated from their families for a moment, um, please, Father, provide uh, comfort and care for those families as well. We ask all these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. You know, I mentioned earlier the mental state of somebody and the emotional state of someone who's been through trafficking. So much um, uh, in the way of mental trauma 
And oftentimes, you know, the media will just dismiss this. They'll call it the uh, the snowflake uh, syndrome, right? Um, I remember reading about this initially when college professors were lamenting the fact that so many college students were, um, you know, needing mental health days, wellness days. And, you know, I'm just not going to work today because I just can't handle the stress and strain. And for those of us who lived through, you know, were born in the 50s and 60s and lived through some rather tumultuous times, um, I, I, you know, I mention this often here on the Bottom Line Show, and I hope you don't get tired of me talking about my heart surgery. <laughs> but the reason I do on occasion is we've had longtime listeners who will call the program and they'll say, oh, I didn't know you were in the hospital. And not realizing that I was on, I was out of commission for about two full months at one point, still trying to do the show from home while I was healing up from my open heart surgery. But when I asked my cardiologist about a year after the surgery, we were doing a routine checkup and um, I asked him, uh, you know, my dad had had the same procedure and he was 85 years old when he got his valve replaced. We both were born with bicuspid aortic valves, which are something of an anomaly. And it just means your heart has to work 50% harder to flush the clean blood back into the system through the aorta. And so that valve's going to wear out faster because it only has two cuts or two flaps instead of three. And I asked him, why is it that my dad didn't need to have this done until he was 85 and I needed to have it done at age 56? And his response was, he said, well, one of the leading factors for this is stress. And I thought to myself, wow, when I think about the stresses and everything that I had experienced in my life, um, I could I could understand that. Ironically, one of the stresses was growing up in the home where the stress didn't hit my parents as badly as it hit me and my brother and my sister. But it was interesting because, the, you know, as far as mental health and things of that nature, um, you know, we've all had our struggles with it, my, my siblings and I, but we're older. And... Um, you can imagine what carrying that kind of stress around for that long can actually do for someone. You know, when we talk about the post-traumatic stress that people who have been trafficked endure, I think it's perfectly understandable. You know, we, we get it that uh, a young girl who uh, had been had gone through the emotional trauma of being trafficked, or a boy for that matter. Um, oftentimes, I've talked to police detectives who do work on that kind of uh, that beat, if you will, and they say that you've got about 90 seconds when you find a girl, maybe she's being trafficked for prostitution, and you arrest her, and for up until 10 years ago, the law of the land said, well, you're a prostitute, you're going to jail, instead of saying, wait, you're 14, where are your parents, you know, and now that we're doing that, detectives have to work against a couple things. First of all, and probably most important, is that these young people have been brainwashed into thinking that no one cares about them. The only real love and support they're getting are from the people who are trafficking them for sex or labor or whatever it is. And so to try to talk somebody who's been brainwashed out of that unhealthy state into a healthy state, you don't have a lot of time. He says, you basically, one detective told me, you got about 90 seconds to flip the switch. It's not easy to do. We're just now beginning to understand this as a society and as the church on the whole, that this is how that process works. But there's another sleeping giant that could become even more potentially dangerous, and that is something I like to call the overachiever syndrome. It goes by a lot of different names. Um, in some cases, like I think of one expression, you know, there's the empowered woman syndrome. You know, our girls are super overachievers. They all play sports and they're all super smart and they're all super pretty and they all are, you know, beauty queens and uh, they achieve, 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 achieve. And at some point you ask the question, how can you achieve that much without it taking a major toll? You know, in the African-American community, there's a phrase called black girl magic, 
which uh, you know talks about the fact that African-American women have had to overcome so many obstacles that they can accomplish just about anything and how wonderful that is that they can. I like to see anybody, you know, who can accomplish and achieve. But what happens if the toll for that achievement is too high for one person to pay? Instead of saying, you got all these college degrees, which is going to lead to a great job and good professional relationships and personal relationships, and but you won't suffer materially and you're living your best life now. But what happens when all of the pressure of trying to achieve and live that up to that legend winds up taking a toll on you to the point where you can't deal with it anymore? Um, on the other side of this break, I want to take a look at the story of a young woman who uh, whose life ended and on paper she had everything to live for. But on her 30th birthday, she jumped out the window of the Orion Building in New York City and fell 60 stories to her death. Uh, the story of Chelsea or Chesley Christ coming up next as the bottom line continues. Bottom line show listeners have been so supportive of Preborn and I appreciate you and I know that Preborn does as well. Preborn is the pregnancy resource center that offers women uh, options and offers women the truth when it comes to an unexpected or unplanned pregnancy. Now, if you were expecting pregnancy and you want to get a free ultrasound, you can go to our preborn clinic as well. It's very easy to do. And every time we donate $28 to the cause, that provides one free ultrasound appointment for someone who may or may not have the means to handle this. Now, Terry in Cathedral City recently called in a $1,000 donation. Thank you so much, Terry, for, uh, for giving us that call, especially out of the Coachella Valley. Also, Dennis in Los Angeles called in a $28 donation. Thank you, Dennis, for that $28. And also, I want to say thanks to Diane in San Diego, a $500 donation. Every $28 you provide means one more ultrasound visit for a woman who may be deciding between whether or not to keep the pregnancy or to keep the child. We are pro-child. 85% of the women who go to preborn and see the ultrasound choose life for their preborn child. And you can give a tax-deductible donation online today to support that cause. Go to kbrightradio.com and look for the preborn banner. Click the banner and make your best donation today. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, we're talking about uh, trafficking, PTSD, vulnerability. Dr. Ben Carson's op-ed from The Federalist is up at thebottomlineshow.com talking about how leftist media uh, led to the spread of huge misinformation about the value of online learning, uh, ver you know, the dangers of kids getting COVID and then getting teachers infected. And the reality is so much damage has been done to the mental health of young people because of the lockdowns. But a lot of damage is being done to the mental health of young people because of this push to overachieve. The story, and I want to correct something I said, uh, Chris, uh, Chelsea, it's Chesley Christ. I want to call her Chelsea. Chesley Christ uh, took her own life at the age of 30. She was crowned Miss USA in 2019. She has a master's in business administration. And oh, by the way, she went to Wake Forest Law School and passed the bar. But she was found on the street below the 60-story Orion building in New York City. And I mentioned earlier, if she fell 60 stories to her death, I don't know what floor she actually was jumping from. She was a host on the television program Extra, among other things. Her family issued the following statement when she passed away. Quote, in devastation and great sorrow, we share the passing of our beloved Chesley. 
Her great light was one that inspired others around the world with her beauty and her strength. She cared, she loved, she laughed, and she shined. Chesley embodied love and served others, whether through her work as an attorney fighting for social justice, as Miss USA, as a host on Extra, but most importantly as a daughter, sister, friend, mentor, and colleague. We know her impact will live on. Ironically, just hours before her death, she posted a picture of herself on social media along with the caption, May this day bring you rest and peace. She had nearly 600,000 followers on social media, and that post received nearly 900,000 likes. It's amazing to see what happened, but you have to ask the question, where some people wind up taking their lives because of a trauma or a tragedy that really shaped them, is it possible that the former Miss USA who took her own life actually was a victim of her own success? Is it possible that we're pushing young people so hard to go to college and get the best job and have the perfect figure and have the perfect physique uh, and, and literally have the perfect life and one false move? And that's it. In a way, there are people who are being trafficked in ways that Andy Berger and I did not talk about. Not being bought and sold by family members or uh, kidnappers or thieves or robbers, but by a culture that has robbed you of your innocence and sold you on the lie that if you just are pretty enough, if you just have the right abs, if you get the right titles, if you go to law school or to grad school for an MBA or you're a host on television as well, you're a super achiever and you realize that you've become a human doing instead of a human being. May Chesley Christ's suicide remind us that God places more value on the soul than he does on the body. Oh yeah, the body's important. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. But the soul is what's ultimately being saved from sin and death and hell. And that's the bottom line. As we continue, Greg Allison is going to join us to talk about living as whole people in a fractured world. His brand new book is called Embodied. And more to come in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You know, it's interesting as we think about our lives in Christ, how oftentimes we separate the body from the soul. And we have a tendency to kind of think of one as one way and one as the other. And sometimes we get it wrong. Well, okay, maybe most of the time we get it wrong. <laughs> Dr. Greg Allison, uh, PhD from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, is professor of Christian theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's also the pastor of Sojourn Community Church and author of a fascinating new book <clears throat> that I'm glad we get to discuss today here on The Bottom Line, personally and selfishly, I guess. The book is called Embodied, Living as Whole People in a Fractured World. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Greg Allison, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thanks so much, Roger, for hosting me. How do we get it right, and how do we get it wrong when it comes to mind, body, soul, and spirit, just as Christians living in a sinful, fallen, yet redeemable world? I think we get it right when we see ourselves as integrated image bearers. That is, God has designed us to be both body and soul, to be mm -hmm. both a spirit, that, that interior, immaterial reality, as well as physical, bodily, uh, in terms of our external uh, reality. But God has created his image bearers, human beings, to be embodied and emplaced in this life, in this world. And so we are an integrated whole. I think that's the right way to look at ourselves. And when we split the soul from the body or the spirit from the body, that's when we run into trouble. 
One of the things you write about in your book, Embodied, is the fact that we don't have bodies per se, but we are our bodies. Help, to help us understand what you mean by that. Yeah, the, the idea of we have a body puts me in a, a strange relationship with my body. It's kind of like I steward my time and my treasures and my mm -hmm. money and my body. That last category doesn't really fit in terms of stewardship. I, I don't use my body. I am my body. I don't have a body that then I use like an instrument, but rather I am my body. God has created us human beings such that the proper state of human existence is embodiment, and he wants us to live the reality, the fullness of being embodied image bearers as uh, embodied people, not people having a body, but people who are a body. So let's start from the very beginning, as Maria would say, in The Sound of Music, as we're trying to understand this concept, which I realize might seem a little esoteric to some in our listening audience. Uh, you talk about, uh, you know, kind of looking at the, the, the fact that there's a created body. Talk about what you mean by that. Yes. Uh, today, in our contemporary society, we have this notion that what we really are is how we imagine ourselves to be. Right. So being a man, I could imagine myself to be a woman, or vice versa, a woman could imagine herself to be a man. That is, what's really most fundamentally true about us is how we feel about ourselves. And so we have this kind of uh, implicit rejection of the way God has created us as embodied people. So our body is being neglected. We're not paying attention to how God has created us. And so in my book, I'm calling people to realize again that God has created us as physical, as embodied people. And so we don't have this uh, uh, reality where we can say, I am something other than my body. No, I am my body created as such by God. And that really helps us understand who we are as, as image bearers. We're created as embodied image bearers. It helps us understand that we are men and women by God's design. It help us, helps us wrestle with issues like body image and things like that. It does, and, and the book we're talking about with Dr. Greg Allison today is Embodied, Living as Whole People in a Fractured World. And we have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Your, your, your thesis there, Dr. Allison, really does kind of throw cold water uh, to a certain extent on the way the world talks about body image and gender identification and things like that. And I, and I mean this as mercifully and compassionately as I can, the idea that people can, you know, there's a movement. I have a couple of kids who help my kids work in the physical fitness world. And so they're, they're talking about how there's this new, you know, I think it's called healthy at any size type of mentality. It says, you know, you don't, shame people for being too heavy or too skinny just you know they are who they are and that's that's what it is and yet it seems like your argument is well look the way god created us is there there is a gender issue there is a you know there, there's something about us physically though we are our bodies um, that we have to understand properly and in a fractured world in a fallen sinful world that we're, we're really losing sight of that and it's really incumbent upon us to regain that vision is that accurate that's actually right. I really like how you put it mercifully and compassionately, right? We relate to people who struggle with body image, with gender dysphoria, gender confusion, uh, and yet we are calling them to embrace the way God has created them, uh, and, and that is he's created them as embodied and therefore as gendered men and women, his image bearers, and embracing that then 
causes us to move away from thinking I can invent or reinvent myself and my gender mm-hmm. and what I really am. It's really calling us to make an assessment of who we are as designed by God and then living into the fullness of that reality. Dr. Greg Allison is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Embodied, Living as Whole People in a Fractured World. And we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You have a chapter in your book about the social body. And I wonder how many people would just see that chapter title and say, I think I'll move ahead to the sanctified part. Let me just go ahead to the clothed part. Do I really have to talk about the social part? Help us understand why understanding that social part of the body is really important for those of us who are all part of one universal body of Christ. Yeah, we. Th- 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 this topic is so important because God has not only created us as embodied gender human beings, but he's also given us this wonderful gift of community, of relationality. That is, he's designed us as social embodied people, and we have this love of communicating ourselves, giving ourselves, uh, relating to others, and receiving that love and care from others so that we bond, so that we're in community, so that we have friendship in the Church, so that we're siblings, brothers, and sisters. And there's this attraction to one another. And I'm not just talking about marriage, but just relations in general. God has designed men and women to relate to one another as friends, as siblings, in community, as bonded, loving friends. And this is the emphasis of the social body. Mm. And that's key, because for people who are a bit more introverted, like yours truly, um, that social body, has, that's a discipline. I mean, I think I, I, I'm comfortable with God's creation for my body, like my gender, uh, particular body type. There are things I can exercise. When I get to that social part, sometimes, uh, Dr. Greg Allison, that's a big challenge. Uh, talk about, I mean, understanding the social Understanding the son's body, I, I mentioned earlier, I am part of the larger universal body of Christ. So don't I have to, I mean, I can't just kind of show up and say, I'm that one part of the body of Christ that doesn't really interact with the other ones. It doesn't really work that way, does it? It doesn't. And as introverted as you are, and I'm introverted as well, right, we do have to push ourselves to live this reality of the social body. We aren't a rock. We're not an island to ourselves. God has equipped us with this gift of sociality, and so we need to fuel that, we need to flame that, and particularly in the Church, we're called to love one another, pray for one another, engage with one another, be care, be caring for one another, so we have to have relationships. Moreover, God has gifted each one of us with certain spiritual gifts for the building up of the body, and we can't do those gifts, we can't exercise those gifts in isolation. We really do need one another, and how we can flourish with this sociality in the body of Christ, to me, is just marvelous. So that's really been put to the test. It's caused a, a number of people who were part of the body of Christ to say, good, now I can just watch on Facebook or on social media, and I really don't have to be a part of that. Give us your best, uh, most compelling argument for not continuing in that vein and still saying, okay, I could be a Christian, I'm just going to do it from my living room instead of actually engaging in people's lives. I think my, my best argument would be if we really look deep down to ourselves, um, I, I think we were we would realize that we're fundamentally dissatisfied with that lack of relationality. If we really pour into ourselves, really look into ourselves and say, was this a good time for me, even though I'm introverted, even though I don't really care about relating others? I think we would all say, I would hope we would all say that, no, fundamentally, I was starved for relationships. I was not satisfied with that condition. 
And and so uh, as comfortable as it may have been for me to just live stream my church service, again, uh, how can we be the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, relating to one another, loving one another, being concerned for one another, using our gifts to benefit one another? Speaking for everybody who got used to the Facebook church and saying, oh, good, I'll just do this from now on out, it really isn't an option for us. I mean, unless we're physically not able to get there. Yeah, exactly. And But, I mean, just just think about, uh, like, the, the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Right. I assume that all of our listeners would embrace those as rites that God in Christ has given to us to perform in the Church. We are to baptize people. We are to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And those are physical realities, tangible expressions of God's grace. And I don't know, you know, doing that just in my own living room by myself or with my wife and I just doesn't cut it in the way I think the New Testament proposes for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper and engage in baptism as a whole church. Well, fine. Bring up the sacraments. I guess I don't have an answer for that one. But uh, no, tongue planted firmly in cheek, Dr. Greg Allison. I appreciate your comments on that. Uh, Greg Allison, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, his brand new book is called Embodied, Living as Whole People in a Fractured World. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, we'll talk about what a blessed and disciplined body actually looks like. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. For more than 50 years, Dennis Wilson has been offering better alternatives to what the market offers when it comes to investments like certificates of deposit and real estate investment trusts. Dennis's 3D account pays even better than market interest rate. Here's Dennis to explain. So what is a 3D account and how does it work? A 3D account is a real estate-backed investment without Wall Street risk. It pays an amazing interest of 7% for the next three years. At the end of three years, you can take your money out So you can see it's definitely not a REIT, or you can reinvest it at 7% in a new program. Go ahead and call today and ask about the 7% account. And then while you're on the phone and ask about our accounts that pays even higher amounts for funds over 250,000. Learn more about Dennis Wilson's 3D Money Account, the better alternative to the Real Estate Investment Trust. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial, simply better alternatives. Dr. Greg Allison is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. His brand new book is called Embodied, Living as Whole People in a Fractured World. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Greg, during the first half of the broadcast, we were having a fairly, uh, I think, healthy discussion about the relationship between our bodies and our spirits. And, and as you point out in this book, the fact that sometimes we, uh, we tend to separate the two and we'll, we'll say, look, we think that our soul is basically, that's what God's purifying and cleansing and whatever. And our body is pretty much, I mean, if we can get it just kind of a neutral where we don't sin too much, it's just a vehicle for the soul to get around. You know, these are tents that we live in, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that you're challenging us to see the synergy between the two of them, I think is so, it's so very, very helpful. And you have a couple of chapters in this book that I really, uh, really appreciated. Uh, first and foremost, one later on in, in your writing where you talk about the suffering and healed body. And I know a lot of people who are, are, are going through challenges right now and maybe the COVID pandemic kind of exposed maybe some spiritual weaknesses or some physical, exacerbated some physical ailments. Talk about what you mean by the suffering and healed body as living as whole people in a fractured world. Well, all of us living in a fallen world uh, do suffer. And obviously in this book, I focus on physical suffering. Some of that is imposed on us. Some of it is the result of others harming us. Some of it is due to our own lack of discipline, 
failure to exercise, not doing good nutrition and things like that. But all of us uh, throughout our life suffer physically. And God will always provide sufficient grace for us to walk with him fully. And at times he will actually heal us from those physical illnesses. But all of us are uh, moving uh, always towards death, and therefore uh, that is the ultimate demise of our body. But we can trust in God's grace to see us through our suffering, and if it's His will, we'll rely upon His healing power also to release us from that suffering. You know, I I was thinking... um just even the other day about the fact that there are so many people who during the pandemic time uh, were, were making this observation about the church. Wow. You know, I mean, why would God let something like this happen to the world? And then the other observation was, wow, it's kind of interesting how this happened to the world. And we're kind of beginning to see, you know, that when Jesus said, not everybody who calls me Lord, Lord is getting into heaven. Uh, we kind of got a chance to kind of see what our faith was really made of. Uh, talk about what a blessed and disciplined body actually looks like. A lot of Christians we know, you and I both, eat properly, exercise all the time, in church constantly. There's a certain look to it. But what does a blessed and disciplined body, Dr. Greg Allison, actually look like scripturally? The blessed body is the pleasure that we can receive by living in this beautifully created world uh, that God has designed for us as his image bearers. So the taste of a juicy steak, the smell of cut grass or uh, oatmeal cookies with chocolate chip cooking in them, Mm. uh, enjoyment of wildflowers, hiking, living in this world, we are blessed with so many physical blessings. And there's also then a responsibility that God has given us to live as disciplined, embodied image bearers. That is, as you mentioned, we are to care for ourselves, not just steward our body as if it's an instrument, but we care for ourselves by exercising regularly and eating properly, so nutrition that's right for us, making sure that we rest well, that we sleep well. And these are not selfish things. These are actual ways to care for ourselves as limited embodied image bearers of God. And so just as we would uh, engage in spiritual disciplines, reading the Word and praying and fellowshipping and worshiping God, so there are also physical disciplines that we should participate in simply by the fact that God has created us as embodied image bearers. Mm-hmm. And I love that image bearer phrase. And I, I realize that, uh, that that's something that will slip my mind and many of our listeners' minds on a regular basis. The fact that when you're just trying to make it through the day or the week, you know, and, and you don't really think in terms of anything other than, did I get through to Friday? Good. You know, did we, did we live through Sunday? Good. You know, the fact that we are image bearers, it's becoming more and more obvious that people who look to us who have genuine faith are going to see us, and that light is going to shine even uh, brighter against the uh, the growing darkness of the world and the quote-unquote cancel culture that we're living in. Dr. Greg Allison, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, and the book is called Embodied, Living as Whole People in a Fractured World. I've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Allison, you, you uh, conclude uh, your writing with a chapter on the dead body and also the future body. Help us understand what you mean by those. So as I talked about when we were discussing the suffering and healed body, we move inexorably towards death, right? Uh, 
I guess there are two great realities, according to Ben Franklin, taxes and death. So all of us are moving towards death. So what happens at death, and here I'm talking in terms of believers, followers of Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. what happens at death is obviously our body stops its functioning. We become unzipped all the way down, so our body is fluffed off, put in a grave or a tomb, cremated, buried here, whatever it is. But we as disembodied Jesus followers, we go immediately into the presence of Jesus in heaven. Now, we're disembodied, so it's a really weird, unusual, abnormal state. But we are worshiping the Lord, yet I think we will still feel a sense of incompleteness because we're not yet fully conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, in whose Mm -hmm. image we're made. And so we are longing for the resurrection of our body. That's the future of us not just to be disembodied followers of Jesus in heaven, but to be re-embodied followers of Jesus with glorified resurrection bodies, such that one day for eternity we will live in the new heavens and the new earth, which are physical realities, physical places, because we will be re-embodied with this glorious resurrection body. How often do you encounter Christians, Dr. Greg Allison, who haven't quite made that connection yet? And I mean that sincerely, (laughs) the fact that oftentimes it's, I'm going to struggle around here, so everything in this life is kind of a pain, and it's been so corrupted, and I really don't want any part of it. And then when I get to heaven, it's just basically me, I'm a soul, I'm a spirit, I'm with God, and I don't really know what that looks like. I mean, there are some tangible realities of the afterlife that we're often missing, I think. I totally agree with you. I would say 90% of the people I talk with they would say the ultimate Christian hope is to die and be with Jesus in heaven, playing harps, walking on streets of gold, whatever it is, right, mm-hmm. however they imagine it. But really, it's, it's, it's a soulish or just a spiritual reality because we don't rightly think about our bodies. But according to Scripture, the proper, the right Christian hope is not just dying and going to be with Jesus in heaven and being disembodied, but it's being re-embodied, as I said, with our resurrection body. We are not fully saved, fully redeemed followers of Jesus. We are not fully conformed to the image of Jesus Christ until we receive our glorified body. Jesus is the exalted God-man, right, ruling at the right hand of the Father. We can't be like him until we are resurrected and have these new glorious bodies that he is going to redesign for us. Amen. Amen. And the more we understand that soul, mind, body connection, and the better we do, uh, the more impactful we will be for the kingdom. And Dr. Greg Allison has kind of opened our eyes to the, not only to our bodies, but also to our hearts with regard to how this synergy comes together. The book is called Embodied, Living as Whole People in a Fractured World. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Greg Allison, great to get to know you, sir. Thanks for the book, and thanks for your time today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Roger. Great host. Thank you so much. What a great conversation and what a powerful book, too. It's called Embodied, Living as Whole People in a Fractured World. The author, Greg Allison, has been my guest today here on The Bottom Line. More to come in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. I can't say enough about preborn, and I'm going to keep talking about them because I love what this organization stands for. Basically, what they stand for is the truth, the truth and the science, the truth and the science and being honest about the situation that a woman is facing when she is facing an unplanned pregnancy. Did you know this is a problem within the church? 60% of the women who have abortions in the United States do so after already having given birth at least once. 54% of the women who have abortions in the United States are church-going women 
if not Bible-believing, born-again Christians. So what does that say? It tells me that we in the church need to do a better job of educating people as to what's really going on when a woman tests positive for pregnancy, as they say. Go to a pre-born clinic, they'll do the pregnancy test, then they will do an ultrasound. And the ultrasound technology will show you the pictures of the child in the womb, and then they'll tell you the three options, not the two that the abortion clinics. Abortion clinics say either you're going to be a parent that's going to be expensive and ruin your life, just have an abortion. The third option is adoption, and Preborn recommends adoption every single time a woman comes in with an unplanned pregnancy. 85% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and have the ultrasound choose life for their baby. You can help in this effort. Make your one-time donation to Preborn today. Go to kbrightradio.com and click on the Preborn banner. My thanks again to Greg Allison, the author of the brand new book called Embodied. Uh, Dr. Greg Allison is professor of Christian theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, the author of many, many books. And this one, uh, just a, a huge help to a lot of people who are dealing with this whole concept of who are we? You know, I mean, it seems like we don't think about our bodies a whole lot until we're faced with a physical challenge or a crisis. And then we take a look at the unbiblical idea that the immaterial aspect of our being, meaning your soul, is inherently good while the material aspect, your body, is not. <laughs> it's, it's neutral at best, but probably evil. It, that's just, you know, it's a means to an end to get the souls around. So we don't pay attention to our bodies. And that's what is so important about this book. And I, I like what Greg Allison says in the book Embodied. He says, we don't have bodies, we are our bodies. And I know that's a hard thing for people to, to figure out. You know, the fact that God created us the way he did for a reason. Being a grandfather has really driven that home for me uh, personally, and, and maybe it has for you too, being a grandparent. When you look at your grandchildren, because you realize your grandchildren have a part of your DNA and they've got a part of your daughter's or son's DNA and the other family's all mixed in together. And every time now I'm with one of my grandkids and I see, uh, well, I, I should say for me, the... I, I get that with, with Isaac, of course, because his, his mother is my oldest daughter. With Riley and Zipporah, of course, I'm a bonus papa, and so there's not so much of the DNA part, but there's definitely the, the influence and impact of just being around them in relationship. But the idea that we have somehow kind of taken the human body and separated it from the soul and said, the body, just take care of it, make sure it's in good shape, but the soul is really there. I mean, the reason God created us the way he did is so that we could see him. I mean, so Greg Allison gives us what I would call a holistic theology of the human body, starting with when we're born all the way through eternity. And it, it's interesting because there are so many people who are wrestling with the body and the body-soul continuum. I'm thinking of the people in the transgender community right now who are saying, hey, wait, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm this person trapped in that body or you know whatever. And, and we, we would say, well, no, God says you're male or female, but do we really understand why we can make that claim. I mean, is it just us holding on to a biblical tradition, for example, that some people can either accept or reject, or is it something that's more important? You know, is gender inherent in the body or is it a construct of society? You know, when we go through suffering, for example, when we're at end of life situation, I'm, I'm walking that road uh, right now with a guy who doesn't want to be on the end of life side of it and he's fighting like crazy and I'm fighting there with him. But we have to acknowledge the reality that all of us are basically terminal. We don't have guarantees in this life. I mean, uh, up until January 19th, 2018, I didn't think there was anything really seriously wrong with my heart. 
But if I had not taken steps on January 19th and then January 31st and February 5th, and those were all the milestone doctor's appointments, by the time they put me under and wheeled me in the operating room on March the 12th of 2018, and they repaired my aortic valve and my ascending aneurysm in my aorta that needed to be repaired and replaced, if they hadn't done that the next week, I might have been dead. Now, I don't say that to shock. That's just a reality. So my soul is important, but my body is important too, and so is yours. And that's the whole point in, as we live in this fractured world where people have this body dysmorphia about who am I and what do I look like? And it's just so important that we get this right, brothers and sisters. And I think this book by Greg Allison called Embodied, Living as Whole People in a Fractured World, helps us get to that point. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Take time today to take care of your body and your soul, spiritually and otherwise. It's important that we understand that this is one of the places where we have our deepest, intimate, most intimate fellowship and communion with God. And that's the bottom line.